0: Hey everyone, this is David Dodge, the host of GWK The Podcast, and I'm just chiming in here at the top of this episode before we kick things off with our guest today, drag queen extraordinaire Ginger Ladd, to address a pretty clear omission in what uh, we talk about during our conversation, since it's only become news since we recorded this interview. And that would be this ridiculous bill introduced just this past Monday by Texas State Representative Brian Slatten that would ban children from drag shows. I mean, I barely have the words and almost regret giving this guy any more airtime than he's already gotten since this is so clearly a stunt and one he's pulling during Pride Month, no less. But as we're seeing, stunts like these actually become law across the land from ridiculous don't say gay bills to bans on trans youth playing the sports they want. So I do feel like it's our responsibility to call this crap out when it happens, no matter how ridiculous we find it. And a lot of kids go to Ginger shows in New York City, which are family-friendly. So she is exactly the type of entertainer this representative is trying to target with this piece of hateful garbage. Uh, ginger also has Texas roots, so this is particularly personal for her. I reached out to ask her if she wanted to give a response to this bill, and it was so good. Uh, I wanted to read it aloud before this episode. Here's what she had to say. Here we go again. Yet another Republican obsessed with people's genitals. And Representative Brian Slatten is no exception. Not all drag entertainers are men who dress as women. Drag runs the gamut from female drag queens, straight, gay, non-binary, and more. What this idiotic bill does is place Brian Slatten as Texas's official genital checker. Mr. Slatten, are you going to infringe on the rights of Texans and check their genitals before they perform? Where does it end? Does this extend to circus performers, character actors for parties, Cirque du Soleil performers, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, Texas sports mascots? Instead of being obsessed with drag queens' genitals, why not provide health care for all Texans? Address climate control. Create a path to citizenship for the thousands of hardworking immigrants in your state. That would actually require work, wouldn't it? So stop trying to deflect from your record of gaslighting and inefficiency and stay out of my pants, Brian Slatton. Please sashay away. So I obviously couldn't say it any better than that. (laughs) So just wanted to read that quickly before we kick things off with Ginger. And thank her again so much for being on the pod. So sorry we had to start things off with such a political note. But this did seem like something we had to address, particularly with Ginger being our guest this week. With that out of the way, please stay tuned for what's a really great interview with Ginger. Uh, It's a really fun one. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to GWK, the podcast. I'm your host david dodge and today i'm going to be speaking to ginger lad on the pod who in addition to being a popular drag performer and entertainer based in the rockaways in new york city is also a dad via foster care we cover a lot of territory during this conversation including what it was like for ginger to navigate the foster care system in new york how she's seen drag change over the roughly two decades she's been active in the scene and what it's been like juggling fatherhood marriage and a very busy career in entertainment now I gotta say, this is probably the first recording of an episode where I really wish it had been televised rather than a podcast, because over the course of the hour we spent together during this interview, I got to watch her begin her transformation into full drag regalia to prepare for a couple of spots she was recording. Um, although I think I did more to distract her during this uh, this transformation than to, to assist. <laughs> uh, but I promise you the audio of our conversation is just as entertaining, so please give it a listen. You can also find out much more about Ginger, including upcoming performances, on her website at gingerlad.com. That's G-I-N-G-E-R-L-A-D-D.com, as well as her Instagram at TheGingerLad. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. As always, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know what, hell, at this point, it's season three. Why not even give us a review? Uh, but either way, <laughs> please sit back and enjoy the conversation with Ginger Lad. It's a fun one. Gingerlad, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much, David. It's nice to be here.
0: So why don't we just start as we do with most of our guests, um, hearing a little bit about your family creation story. So could you tell us a little bit about how and when you met your husband and uh, how you decided to want kids, if you always wanted to have kids and how you decided on foster care is the right path for you?
1: I, was, I always laugh when someone asks me about how I met my uh, husband in the circumstances because my husband, uh, the Mr. Lad, so uh, he actually uh, goes by the Mr. Lad on Instagram. Uh, he has a little bit of a different take uh, on on it, and so I've kind of leaned into his story a little bit. I was here on I was in New York on vacation, and I was visiting some friends, and uh, ran into this random person uh, while we were out, and I was with my friend, and I always tell my friend at the time was a very free loving kind of guy I would used to say that he would make love to a doorknob if it would stand still Um, and so I just assumed I just assumed that this guy was after my friend. and so I paid him absolutely no attention left him that evening I had one or two more days in New York didn't think I'd see this guy again just another person trying to come on in a club and I lived in San Francisco I'm not looking for a relationship come out the next night he's there again but it's a different space it actually was at a drag show Uh, Chiquita was actually performing Uh, her I don't know if she performs anymore I I, I, it might be something that uh, might not be politically correct anymore she uh, had this fantastic character called Jesse Normus, and she used to dress dress up in a really large suit and sing opera so it was there Uh, my friend parked in the wrong space the car was towed This guy was following us back to the car, just wanting to say goodnight to me, and I really hadn't paid any attention. So now we're standing with a practically complete stranger, who's my now husband, and offers to take us to the cafeteria. And it's late, 11, 12, and we waited for the car. During the conversation that we had at the table, I realized what an extraordinary person I was actually sitting next to. You know, I was so turned off on thinking about looking for a relationship. I had had a lot of failed relationships in the past, and always had connected myself with men that were Uh, abusive and controlling, and that's not who this person was. I had this realization, I heard part of the conversation, either he was talking about his military service in the Navy, or that he was teaching, uh, he's a university professor, and he had classes the next day. I, I don't know what exactly it was, but all of a sudden it felt like a second set of eyelids peeled back. And I actually looked over at him, and I looked at him sitting next to me from foot to shoulder, and I said to myself, whoa, you need to be a little more aware, because this is an extraordinary person, and you're never going to see him again. We went to go pick up the car. You had to wander through the West Side Highway. Uh, it was filled with police cars. You go back to this dingy little office. It's practically yellow lighting. Those orange melamay chairs that are hard. And people <laughs> screaming at the top of their lungs. Uh, my friend stands in line to pay his $200 odd to get his car back. And I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking about Michael. And I texted him. And I said, you know, during that conversation we had at the table, I overheard you talking about that you're gonna have a blind date on Friday. And as I sit here right now, I can't help be jealous of the person who's gonna to get to meet you. And he said to me, why don't you come outside really quick? He had stayed the whole time. He was actually parked off the side of the West Side Highway. And I did, I wandered back through the uh, warehouse full of uh, police cars and, and it really was a full moon. And the cars were zipping back and forth on the highway. And I ran across and there was about half a second and I looked up at him. And he slightly picked me up and we kissed i i'm not exactly sure how it happened but i oftentimes get the chills thinking about the fact that i i almost didn't give him a chance and uh so now we've been together for 16 years uh we had always talked about having kids
0: from the from the get-go
1: yeah you know uh M- michael comes from he's the youngest of six from a great family and had a great upbringing what a wonderful, big, happy family he had and lived on one of those streets that you see in television, uh, where literally neighbors kids are out playing until it gets dark and relatives living around the corner. I didn't have the same experience. I had a very, very different experience Uh, as as good of a uh, upbringing as Michael had. I had the opposite experience and my experience was full of a lot of sorrow and tragedy and um, isolation. So I knew what I wanted to create and Michael knew what was good. And so it's very interesting in our relationship. I come from a place of let's never do these things. And then Michael comes from the situation or the the actual uh, experience of we should do these kinds of things. So it's very, very interesting. It a actually it, it actually serves us really, really well. Sometimes we don't understand each other um, in that way because sometimes it's unfathomable to to imagine his growing up being so sweet and mine being so bizarre. You know. So how,
0: how did you two decide on foster care as the path forward for you versus other options?
1: Right, so we did talk about surrogacy for a moment, but um, I was right before the, uh, well not before, yeah, before the pandemic, i'd had a uh, tattoo shop a successful tattoo shop in brooklyn owning the shop and being an artist i was working uh, 8 to 12 hours maybe 16 and i couldn't think it possible at the time to ever stay home that much now um well, that's kind of like the normal uh but i couldn't imagine closing down the shop or not working and, and raising a baby or two or five or as my husband would say eight um he only wanted eight kids um, <laughs> he actually said that so long funny side story he said that for such a long time right before we actually decided to go into the foster care system to adopt i thought it was the truth he would halfway joke about it and just always say to people well i'm really only looking for eight that i even looked for another house (laughs) and i had him come to the house he goes what am i doing here i said well they've converted this place and it has six bedrooms and i'm imagining if we have the eight kids wow so you were
0: game for the eight kids
1: no 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 um you know what i was game for um i was game to to make my husband happy
0: sure yeah of course
1: you know and if he thought that it was the correct thing and what he wanted and we literally had a conversation um, upstairs with the realtor down in the, uh, the kitchen, him saying, what are you talking about? That was always a joke. I don't want eight children. So anyway, um, we did talk about surrogacy for a while, and then we talked about what that would look like for our lifestyle. Obviously, there's a huge financial uh, obligation. Um, it's involved with surrogacy. Yeah. Rightly so. Uh, I, I believe in paying for things that uh, – Yeah, and that's nothing that I would ever skimp on. But we we talked about that, and we had gotten to a place of not having any debt, and we just really didn't want to go into a six-figure situation on trying to conceive. So eventually, we kept on talking about it. kept on bringing it up. I saw an ad on social media for an organization in New York City called You Gotta Believe.
0: Yes, we're big fans of them here.
1: Are you? Are Mm -hmm. you? So, um, and specifically they got me they had had even targeted gay dads and it was a story about a gentleman out in Long Island who at this point had I don't know 5,000 children he had a lot of kids Mm -hmm. Um, and and it was a beautifully written story and we went from there so can you walk us through that journey?
0: How was the process of going through the foster care system? So I think a lot of folks at home listening, oh, we have Lord. plenty of people who are already dads, but also plenty that are starting to think about, you know, weighing which path is going to be best for them. So what was the process like to become a certified foster parent? Um, and what was it like to, you know, to bring a child home for the first time?
1: Right. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts about the foster care system. Um, to, to answer the first part, we like, I think most parents going into the world or pre-parents I'd call us, have a fantasy of what you're looking for. I'm looking for a sibling pair. They're going to be eight and 10 years old. Uh, he's gonna be in the second grade and the other's going to be in the fourth and their names are going to be Brian and John and they will love us for, you know, and you have this, you have a sort of a very set idea of who you're looking for. And then it goes all completely out the window. Because what you learn, especially with You've Got to Believe, um, and in the foster care system, when you're dealing with uh, adopting teenagers, that they're the ones who are going to adopt you, not the other way around. Sure. It was interesting. And one of the initial courses that you have to take here in New York to go to become a certified foster care family. And then later on, um, with most of the kids in New York, you also then have to do continuing education and become a uh, a certified therapeutic home. is there was a one session where they bring in some kids to talk about what it's like for them and i remember having uh i had rushed in i had come from my tattoo shop on the subway i had an octopus tattoo that was due the next day that i needed to to complete and show one of my clients so i sat down at the table not realizing who these young people were in the room and i just proceeded to draw and one of them came over and he was fascinated, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm drawing and procreate for my uh, tattoo shop, and he's like, it was really cool, can I watch you? Sure, what's your name? And his name was Wesley, and he was 16 years old, and originally uh, born in Honduras. Uh, and then during the uh, the class, he spoke, and they asked us if we had any questions. And I said, out loud, I stood, and I said to all of them, you know what I'm really worried about is that none of you really in the uh, the foster care system will want to have two dads. There was a mild pause and then absolute sheer laughter, not only from the kids, but from several of the parents in the rooms. Even one of the parents said, I want two gay daddies. <laughs> and wow, that's and great. yeah, I, I was completely shocked. I completely took my preconceived ideas threw them out the window. And Wesley said something profound. He said, I really don't care as just long as you love me.
0: That's really that's sweet. What a great story. That's- yeah. I love that laughter was the, uh, That's a great response to that. You know? so, I mean, Shocked we hear this me. all the time that, um, and it's a it's a fear that I th- yeah I think is rightfully uh, understood from a lot of queer people as they enter also you know any of these pathways, but uh, foster care and adoption in particular is like, are you going to um, be discriminated against because families don't feel comfortable with you? And we hear time and time again that if anything, it's an asset. <laughs> the folks are often looking um, for queer queer dads, queer parents to uh, to you know to be part oh. of these um, processes.
1: Uh, Um. Well, especially in the foster care system, that's, you know, if you want to talk about private adoption or even religious-backed adoption, then I think that's where some of my my preconceived ideas came from, is that there was a certain amount of rejection from uh, religious-based adoption agencies.
0: Right, which uh, again, so we work very closely with the adoption. You know, so we we often try to make sure that everyone knows on this podcast and everywhere, they'll have heard me say this a million times that you can serve as a foster care parent anywhere in the country, but that a lot of states have passed laws that make it legal to discriminate against LGBTQ people and single people and all sorts of other wow. uh, types of people. Um, and so you can get discriminated against if you are not uh, very careful about the agency that you choose. So this is why we make sure that we uh, We want people to do their their homework reach out to us dads at we will obviously be happy to steer you in the right direction there those of you with babies and small kids at home think about this a lot of the food you pass in the baby food aisle at the grocery store has been sitting on that shelf for longer than maybe your kids even been alive the stuff can be so heavily processed and our kids deserve better that's why i'm excited to tell you about little spoon which has an awesome menu of baby and toddler kid food that is non-gmo and organic made with fresh ingredients and absolutely nothing artificial. It's all basically homemade and just delivered straight to your door in a cooler box so you can just pop the meals in the fridge or freezer and heat them up when your little ones are ready to eat. We had a couple of uh, tiny taste testers help us out. <laughs> um, eight-month-old Logan absolutely loved Little Spoon's baby food blends, especially the guava, mango, apple, and pear mashup. And he loved the organic smoothies as well with hidden vegetables like the sweet potato and carrot cake smoothie as well as the veggie pack green dream with chai so uh with kids meals under five dollars and baby food smoothies and snacks under three trying little spoon is really affordable at aids with kids listeners can get 50 percent off their first order with the code gwk50 at checkout and that's uh, at littlespoon.com that's code gwk50 at littlespoon.com um so i'm interested to know um so a lot of folks go into foster care with the hope to adopt um as the primary goal and often uh, folks go into it wanting to adopt younger kids. So they have like a, you know, a greater, uh, which again, is it's an understandable impulse if you want to uh, be part of the formative years of a, of a child's life. So what a lot of people don't know is while there's over 400,000 kids in the foster care system all across the US uh, that need homes now, a lot of them need permanent homes, some just temporary, that uh, a lot of these kids are teenagers and they are uh, harder to place quote unquote, um, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame. <laughs> and a lot of these kids end up aging out of the system without being adopted or without finding a, a permanent placement. So these are kids that have been supported by a system for much of their lives and are often, you know, unceremoniously, um, Kicked out into the into the real world and have to fend for themselves and have very little to support them so it's a huge need to have more people uh be specifically interested in adopting older youth. so i'm wondering if you could just talk about uh your impulse there to uh to look specifically for teenagers uh to provide a home to
1: well it wasn't it wasn't an active decision it was only because we met wesley really all of a sudden we had these we had this idea that eight and ten year old and that's how it's going to be and that's what we'll do and then all of a sudden um we fell in love so it was, the, again, another moment in my life, being, opening up another set of eyelids, you know, and not having blinders on to the rest of the world. Right here, right now, there's a young man looking at me directly in the eyes and saying all he needs is love. And that completely and utterly changed it. So no, we, we didn't go out looking for um, uh, someone in, that was a teenager. In fact, I think a lot of people uh, make there's a misconception that should you bring someone who is a teenager into your life, that you will miss out on many of those young kid moments where, for example, they look at you and and call you mommy or or daddy, Um, they hold your hand, maybe they sit right next to you, unafraid of being cuddled. I'll tell you most of the kids that I have met that are teenagers need that so much because many of them were so abused and um they lost so much of their childhood and many of those kids and i'm not giving a specific narration of my kids experience but many of those kids are have such a deficit in in receiving receiving love that they don't have to reciprocate that they don't have to do anything for and so while I do have teenage sons and while Wesley now has been in our life for 3 years and our youngest who is 16 has been in our life for about a year now there are times when I treat these young men exactly like that I mean, Wesley's a freshman in college. He's fantastic. He's dating all of that business. We just met his girlfriend. She's she's a doll. Oh, um, But then there are but then there are sometimes, and we told him it's perfectly okay. We'll accept him no matter what if he's straight. So um, <laughs> very no, kind uh, but, of you. But, very, I, I, very progressive. Yeah, I know. I mean, we, that's how we are. We are. We're, we're really trying our best to uh, make sure that um, we don't straight shame him. No, I, I'm, I'm totally. <laughs> I'm <laughs> uh, making sure to use all the right terms, right? No, um, and at times these teenagers want to fall into your arms, and they want you to sit right next to them. My youngest, who is sixteen, right now he's he comes home and just sits next to me, but not not even in a close American sense of you know about half a foot he wants to sit almost touching like leg to leg and just sit there and he's on his phone while I'm working and it's that close he literally wants to be that close to you and that's 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 the biggest thing I tell people um, I recently met a couple who was just about to go through foster care and you know what they said we're looking for a sibling pair and about um, about 10 12 years old a boy and a girl and that's all we're going to accept and I thought to myself, you know, Dorothy, I'm not going to be able to tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to tell you until you go down the road. And all of a Absolutely. sudden, that's going to be completely thrown out. It's, we hear it, this it's all the time, especially
0: from foster parents. You go in with like one idea, but, you know, again, you can be touched so quickly by some of the kids that you meet in, in the system that, um, you know, I think for a lot of foster parents, what they go in expecting is not what they end up uh, receiving. And, and, you know, usually for the better. Um, so i it's unfortunate in some ways that this is a podcast and not a visual media because uh as as we are talking you're because in the middle i am of getting I'm, ready
1: no 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 i'm i am actually already full up in it you're welcome um Rusky, uh, crystalled uh crystal gown right now thank you a triple stacked <laughs> wig just visualize the entire thing just dripping in uh, real diamonds Yes, um, there I'm you doing was well, just for you, David.
0: So I would love to uh, transition a little bit to talk <laughs> about your your profession as a, as, um, as a drag performer. Uh, it sounds like you've yeah. had um, a lot of um, experiences uh, professionally since you've had your tattoo shop. So could you talk a little bit about how you transitioned from uh, what you were doing, which was running, it sounds like a fairly sure. successful tattoo business, into the world of drag and entertainment?
1: I had stepped back into drag a long, long time ago. Um, dates, no. Uh, but <laughs> I was living <laughs> in San Francisco, and I remember getting my my very first few things, um, and doing it really clandestine. I felt embarrassed, hmm. you know. I think I think it comes from. Uh, a lot of gay toxic toxic masculinity and, and a lot of uh, some gays who um, tried to revert back into the most masculine of stereotypes to sure. prove to yep. themselves that they're still a man even though that they love men, right? And so, you know, I was either doing it for that reason or I was doing it to try to recapture love for my parents who had kicked me out or whatever the reasons were that my, my twisted mind made it taboo, but take my word for it. Before RuPaul's Drag Race, and even well before, it was certainly not a well-received re- art form within our own community. Sure, yep. Um, I knew people who would, ne- would be repulsed by a man wearing makeup and doing what we do. Um, so I had to do it fairly clandestine. I remember not knowing anything about it. YouTube didn't exist. Not really. There was no instructional things. You were just trying to do your best and look at magazines and pictures and trying to guess how to do it. Um, I would go out. I lived in, um, like I said, I lived in San Francisco. I lived in the Folsom District. So just walking distance to the stud. And at the time, um, I believe Sister Roma and Heklinka had a show of, of a name that now I won't say out loud, but it rhymes with manny shack um (laughs) and uh they then since changed the name because you know pc reasons and all that and and bravo for them to change the name but i would actually go to uh manny shack and um stand in the corner taking notes shaking no no shaking because i would be up in it and i would be that wallflower just standing there um i met a few of the uh, the girls um and would go out once in a while. You know, most most, uh, most queens have the story of either coming out as a pride queen or a Halloween queen. Meaning that the very first time they've, they've, they've gotten brave enough to, to do it, is they've either done it on Halloween because everyone else is in a costume, hey, it's not so much of a stretch, or that they're going out in pride and um, hey, it's not so much of a stretch. Right, For right, me, right. I'm neither one of those. Um, I actually came out, I call myself a self-appointed ABBA queen uh mama mia had just come to the united states and um well was just about to land in the united states uh, before hitting new york and they stopped uh, at the orpheum the- orpheum theater in san francisco and i knew this months in advance and so i sewed costumes for myself and my then boyfriend installed lights and uh, went dressed as Agnetha and Anni-Frid, the A's from the ABBA um, and went to the show in drag so I'd say that was my very first time stepping out in drag was um, that makes me an official ABBA an queen. ABBA queen that's great mm-hmm. now, I will tell you another, another time that I actually ran into Benny and Bjorn and we're now dressed as their uh, their ex-wives um and huge <laughs> seven foot and benny and bjorn came up to about my kneecap um so it was like the the ghost of their ex-wives standing in front of them inside the orpheum theater but what was their reaction they actually turned on heel and ran away no I, and kidding. i'm not joking with you no I, they actually so when we walked up it was well in advance before they were letting people in they actually thought we were part of the um the event and let us inside without anyone else being there so we we're like uh, my, my boyfriend on time literally so like they think we're in the show um, they let us in and people were still scurrying around on stage nothing was hidden and so we went and found our seats and then I turned to my boyfriend I said I'm gonna need some help going in the bathroom how about you and it goes yeah let's, I, you you hold mine I'll hold yours and um, <laughs> and we went around the back sound booth and little Benny and Bjorn were standing there and that's where we ran into them and they went huh And they literally turned on heel and ran away from us. Um, But it's a good story. Um, So, uh, Benny and Bjorn, give me a call.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's nice. As someone that's been um, in this world for so long, so you, you kind of hinted at this a little bit, but so to go from working in a profession that at the time you felt the need to do do it a little bit um, on the down low, compared to now where it's you know drag is so mainstream, it's every you know it's everything from like you know young preteen girls are obsessed with you know RuPaul's Drag Race and it's uh, you know it has such like a cult following that's kind of um, transverse like the LGBTQ community, it's not just, uh, it doesn't seem like it's just ours anymore, right? Like it's something that everyone has a hand on. That's correct. Uh, so what's that like for, for you to have gone from the world that you were in to seeing what the world is now with Dragon, seeing how mainstream it is and uh, how embraced it seems to be now, or uh, I'm curious to see if you, if you feel like it is.
1: That was a lot of questions. Um,
0: was, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I tend to do that. <laughs> no,
1: no, no it's, it's all good. It's all good. I I, I, um, I, I think I heard the first one um, in particular, like why the transition, right? Well, um, I, before COVID, I was doing drag on the weekends. Um, I would work my five days and then my whole weekend, just like most drag entertainers in New York, we would work seven days a week. Um, I would do that, then I would work at smaller venues um, around town with my sister. I'd have events out here in uh, Rockaways. Um, And then the pandemic hit and my world completely changed. my, uh, My world completely changed and so much was happening, so much loss again, so much pain, that it was this time in my life where I said to myself, if you're not going to really take a chance on this and do it, when are you going to do it? It is hard to work seven days a week, and you can't do this with your kids. Um, you're getting so much more attention in this. You know, there's there's approximately 700 tattoo shops in New York City. Um, it is very competitive. I'm, and then, you know, that I say that out loud, and then I realize what I just said. There's about... 7,000 drag queens in New York. <laughs> if not more, uh, yeah. So it is also very competitive in a certain way. But it's not, you know, I, I've never really looked at it as a competition because no one can be you and no one can be me. Right. It's a unique um, art for each one. Right. But, I mean, like, a lot of people want to, for example, lump gays with kids all into one category and they and they tend to do that oftentimes you know i have a production company called drag queens and kings entertainment and you can find us online at dragqueensandkings.com. And and um, many times when i get approached by brands they will make this strange request how much for a drag queen well, that's f- and i often have to go through um in a way of not sounding as if i'm admonishing them but i do use the analogy of it's the same thing if you were asking me how much for Singer because I know this guy that that goes down on Wednesdays to karaoke and he does a pretty good Mariah Carey And then I know then there's Mariah Carey. So when you're talking about drag in particular You've got to realize that not all baseball players or actors or artists visual artists violinists You've got everyone from who's just um, playing the, the fiddle in, in, their, in their backyard to people who are playing for the Philharmonic. So um, there's still, while you said that there's this big acceptance, there's still this portion of my career that is very difficult to um, explain to people. I, I explain it to a lot of my straight male friends like this. I said, well, you know when you see me out doing a performance, say like at Hard Rock or doing a performance at here in the Rockaways or at City Winery or any other locations that I have shows at. Think of that as game day. Now, your favorite football player, which I can't name one, but (laughs) just pick yours, pick yours. The one that plays for your favorite team, Um, pick them. Now, you see them playing that game on Sundays, do you think they only they take the rest of the week off oh no no no, no. i so i have actually followed this they so they, they have their training camp and then there's uh, they go in for four hours and they take a rest for an hour and then they do the prep and then they have the class to show them the, the this and then they have their interviews and then of course their contract negotiations and then their commercial deals i said so that's me that's what i do I love that. Uh, so most so of, often
0: for the for the straight male community, we have to uh, relay things to the sports world so they can get it. <laughs> so, but it, but it talk, really but, did. Yeah, I'm sure it did worked.
1: help. It did help. Um, and, you know, I came up at an analogy at a Super Bowl game uh, because uh, one of our neighbors just didn't quite understand. A lot of people also get still while you're saying that drag is so accepted, there's still some. Pretty common uh, misconceptions on why it is what I do. I explain it to you really quick. I'm an actor. Now, I have brothers and sisters who not only are actors, but this is also a, um, an expression of their true gender. So remember that that I'm not expressing a gender. I'm expressing a act. Now, uh, my pronouns out of drag are he him and when, when we're up in it it's she her but not for the same reason that someone who my, my brothers and sisters who are trans sure you can show me the respect because if i beat this face well enough and you're you've had a couple of drinks and you're standing a few feet back <laughs> you just might wonder that the the suspiciously tall person walking next to you might be a goddess or she just might be a dude in a six inch heels you don't know you don't know <laughs> but i'm just saying it, there's uh, people want to um the good the great thing about repulse drag race if we're talking about that particular show is that yes it has brought it to the masses um thank god uh, but then th- the show is designed for entertainment and you do not see the hours in which we are actually working. Course, I have a yeah. full video show at Hard Rock like I said it's just a it's a one person show um on Wednesdays. Um check out eventbrite.com just type in ginger lad. Uh but I always got to sell tickets, David. Come of on. Of course, no, way, plug, away, plug away. I, <laughs> I want I'm, Okay, this we gotta keep this PG. I can't say that. Um oh, hey, see, no, now, once an I'm adult, starting we, to get. We may be gays with kids, but it's an adult podcast. You could anything, ble- oh, uh, nothing you. off limits okay. or, Well, you were classified as clean on iTunes, and I don't want to change I- <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we don't want to. We don't want to bump you out of your of your spot. Um, it's still that uh, with this profession, a lot of people have the like, especially my straight friends. They will put um, a they'll put a sexual spin on what I do and of often um, my neighbors several times the same ones friends would still ask so does Mike did Michael think you looked really pretty that night you know Michael was not concerned about being pretty he was making sure to get the shot Michael serves as a person who takes um he's my biggest support system and yes he takes some pictures and videos the rest everything post video otherwise editing that's all me contract negotiations uh, design of costumes hair nails all of this that's that's all on me so no no michael doesn't look forward to me coming home hot sweaty man in five layers of latex and and (laughs) uh and lycra to then cuddle up next to uh ginger lad right Uh, he doesn't find it disgusting it's just we are we're actually gay um we're not looking for um to bring in uh another Person into our relationship, outside for the fact that now Ginger has an entire bedroom devoted to a drag room. Um, I do wish that your your uh, your viewers could see this right Maybe now. we can take a screenshot. Are you in
0: that right now? It looks like it. Oh,
1: how dare you take a screenshot of me looking ah. like this? How dare <laughs> hey, you? No, hey, nah.
0: the illusion is starting to come together. I'm, you know, we can. Gotta... No,
1: no, we've. I I have been going so slow here because I'm just really enjoying the conversation. Well, so. good. I'm glad you hear uh, that.
0: Uh, Cereal was one of the best parts about being a kid, but then we grow up and realize just how much sugar and junk is in most of it. Luckily, the folks at Magic Spoon have figured out how to make a truly healthier cereal and when we don't have to feel guilty about serving our kids. Magic Spoon cereal has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And it's only 140 calories a serving. They're not just healthy though, they're delicious. Magic Spoon cereals come in variety packs of four flavors including cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, and low carb. Best part is you can mix and match the flavors. Try blending cocoa with peanut butter. It tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup. Go to magicspoon.com gwk to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GWK at checkout to save $5 on your first order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash GWK and use the code GWK to save $5. Uh, so I want to go to something that uh, we were actually talking just briefly before we hit record that you um, that you kind of, I don't, I'm not sure how intentional it's been or not, but a lot of your drag is, and you named a couple of the places that you go, like city winery, um, places that are, you know, family friendly. Like, so you're just saying here, like your show isn't, you know, people have a tendency to sexualize drag generally. And there are plenty of drags that are, Uh, drag queens that maybe lean a little bit more into that than others right uh but uh but for you it's you're you're, you are going to places where you you might you know you're not it's not always like um your typical gay bar experience so could you talk a little bit about what it's like to bring drag into those spaces
1: pre preface this by saying i speak for no one but myself of course Uh, let's get that let's get that clear so before you start coming for me um (laughs) just and uh i'm speaking for my myself and my own experience psychologically i believe Well, and I think it's due to some good psychotherapy and and talking to therapists throughout my life, I've made at least a few connections of who I am today from what has happened to me in the past. When you're a kid of trauma, just like many kids that come from the foster care system, and let me just tangent this by saying I've also learned quite a bit from my foster care classes that I continually have to take every year and talking about what it is like to bring in a child of trauma. And when we say a child of trauma, it could be the simple fact that they were separated from their parents, that's traumatic enough, let alone whether or not a child had um, other issues um, that were presented in their life that completely tore them apart and made them go into the foster care system. Many of these kids didn't do something wrong. It was their s- situations that they were around that were so bad that of the course. state finally decided yep. that they needed to be separated for their own safety. And, um, you know, when I came out, when I was outed by my, par- my parents, I had a younger brother who is 11 years younger than me. And very much like uh, most people of their generation, if not, um, even today, I want to associate uh, being gay as being a pedophile. They want, to, they want to somehow take that in. You know, I never understood why that was until recently, uh, David, I went on to YouTube. There were an extreme amount of propaganda, propaganda films that were made Absolutely, back in the yeah. 1950s. Have you ever watched those? Um, the dangers of the single man. And they would actually play these in between movies. Have you ever watched any of them?
0: I have seen some of it. Have you yeah. seen that
1: one particular one where the man is like trolling to like youths going into a, a tunnel or something and warning? You know, if you see a single man with a certain lift to his foot or something, you need to be aware. So those are, that's the product of of my parents. Well,
0: so I mean, this is just uh, you know, it's a with continue- This has been. Uh, part of how people have subjugated the queer community for ever right for generations it's always it's often about kids right it's about our relationship to youth which is just so <laughs> crazy to, to us but you know it's what they would they would do this back in the 60s and 70s the whole anita bryant phenomenon in florida her campaign against uh out queer um teachers is being like you know we're, that we're gonna somehow ha- either recruit them or be you know that these are pedophiles or whatever um and it's just uh
1: it's David, it's ridiculous that this is still being used for God's sakes. why
0: well, and I was just gonna say for the trans community now, um, oh, same thing with West the bathroom, West. all the bathroom crap, right so it's like it's the same sort of like backwards thinking it's just uh based in no sort of reality mm-hmm. uh, and it is it's oh. really frustrating um, it's, but anyway, it's anyway,
1: that's it. it's well, it's always been obvious though that um, people that are extremists within um certain uh, certain religions have a huge obsession with sex mm-hmm. yeah huge obsession with sex because they have put the sex in such a taboo space within their their community that they're fascinated with everyone else's sexual orientation or they, they would call it maybe preference uh, talk about what they do in the bathroom uh, my god we would go back to sodomy laws we can go back to all sorts of things using religion as an excuse where we're living in a society that we're supposed to not be um, in God we trust, but we're actually supposed to have a situation where uh, politics and religion are completely separate. But that's, anyway, we were, that's another uh, fascinating, what in the hell were we talking about? My Lord, <laughs> it was like 12, what, <laughs> no, what, just, what, what was the point? What was the point? Well, so of but, let, I'll we, bring it back to this, which I'm,
0: I'm curious how, how folks in um, some of like places like City Winery, how, how do they
1: receive your drive? Yeah, well, it does actually depend on uh, the venue itself. Uh, I find that City Winery is uh, leans a little bit more local um, demographic, um, I'd say 60, 70 percent women, especially a lot of people celebrating uh, things about to come up either they getting married or a bridal shower or, or something like that sure. that brings in a certain crowd. Uh, with a place like hard rock cafe with the, having an international following and it being almost a destination for many people from out of the country to go to um i've not necessarily received an education but you know i was in aviation i was in as a flight attendant for 10 years and traveled everywhere and so i've dealt with every single uh culture out there i've lived in overseas for years and um i've been exposed to it so it's not abnormal but um I see mouths hang open when, imagine it, I'm actually the only drag queen walking around in this beautiful location in Times Square. I tell you, sometimes you feel like you're floating out of your body because you have spent all this time and energy to, to, to create your character and you have to tell yourself, this is fine, everything's fine. And there are people that will literally point, laugh, gasp, stare, say things to directly to my face. It is the most Disney-esque experience that I could possibly have. I know cast members who um, have had similar situations being at, at Disney resorts. And it's that it's when the, the strangeness comes in when I'm the only one or that they rarely see it or it's their first time. How how do I approach it? I was I remember I was about to say when you're when you're a product of, of trauma, and you've been kicked out of your house, I think that at least for myself, I will spend the rest of my life trying to engage, uh, not just the straight community, but have an affinity to to capture the inherent love that I didn't have as a child from uh, straight men and women. And so I feel that it serves me in some ways to, to let them realize within maybe an hour and a half show, oh my God, wait, okay, this is a drag show, but it's a real person. <laughs> Many times my kids come to my shows because they are family friendly and oftentimes I'll shout out and sometimes there's an audible gasp. It's, it's, they don't say this, but it's almost like It has a child you know and um, it's you know what I mean and all of a sudden there's this humanization of who I am it's it's fascinating and I have background in cultural anthropology and it would be a fascinating field study for anyone to do um, because there's so many different things that go on at my drag shows Uh, many times there are men uh, particularly men or even some women who do not want to make eye contact with me at all (laughs) (laughs) and it's really bizarre to um, be in a room to perform that and then on the other spectrum I have people who come to every show and it's a really funny thing Um, I, as a drag performer and as a producer, oftentimes, uh, if my husband, Mr. Ladd, and I are standing together, they'll turn to Mr. Ladd while I'm standing there and say, hey, I'd like to contact you about booking Ginger. Uh, do you think uh, we could have a conversation? And Mr. Ladd goes, uh, she's right here. And <laughs> she, she does it all. Um, and also this misconception that, um, that we work for free. That is a conversation I will not uh, like dive into deep right now. But this industry the background that a lot of people come from and drag are from trauma. And it's my assertion as maybe a cultural anthropologist that many people who feel that they are, don't have value will not place value on their most valuable things. And so many of my brothers and sisters are out there working seven to nine shows a week. And many of them are not getting paid for the lion's share of them and they're doing it for tips. Um, and financially, one of the reasons why I tend to, to, uh, to go to um, my beautiful venues that have yet to have drag or that have regular entertainment such as jazz brunch, <laughs> acoustic guitars, comedians, they're used to the protocol of paying an actor and, or an artist for their time. And so as a parent, with two boys who literally, I feel like empty the refrigerator every three days, and I'm talking stripped, just like eat, 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 and um, that I got, we got to fill that refrigerator up again, and I can't do it for exposure. I cannot do it for, um, uh, I can, I do not want to be out for eight hours hoping that I will make money. See, when when you show me the respect of giving a deposit for a show, letting me earn part at door, having a, a, a break off of a bar, things like that, that every other entertainer has. You have no idea how hard I work, the amount of advertising that I'll do. I have now entered the world within the last three months or so uh, as an influencer. And I've got to tell you, uh, every time I still say the word influencer, my, my eyes want to roll back in <laughs> my head just a little bit. Uh, but the the fact remains that most large brands now are have diverted most of their advertising uh, campaign money and budget about 60 to 70 percent to people doing spot advertising Um, and I find that fascinating Um, I find it heartwarming to me to be reached out by companies that want to show off this gay with kids literally asking me do you think that you could bring the entire fam No, really, that's great. Bring Mr. Ladd, bring the boys. Not only would we like you to have a wonderful meal on us, but here's this. Could you do a post about this and this, and we'll present this to you.
0: That's incredible.
1: Um, And so that is also happening, uh, where sometimes I get look at it kind of uh, pointing, and then sometimes I get uh, companies and brands saying, we really understand you, um, and we want to celebrate you, and... Align ourselves in a visual way so that if Ginger is there not only ginger But a Navy vet husband two biracial sons from the foster care system to adopt we, We're covering a lot of ticks here right. on this one person here. I mean, we, we're really we're getting the diversity down here and we're really sending a message to um, our current clients and our future clients come you're welcome here.
0: Well, so this is why when you you, you were saying that you didn't go into this um, intending for it to be this political act, right? And it's, uh, you know, I I think that a lot of uh, queer parents that um, like if you live in like a rural, we talked to a lot of people that are in smaller towns or rural areas, they're queer parents, they're the only queer parents in town and just existing in the world, right? Just going about their day, interacting with their pediatrician, with their school system, they ha- are constantly having to explain uh, what a queer family is and looks like and what it you know, doesn't look like.
1: David. Um, sorry, go ahead. When you walk, No, 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 when you walk, we walked into an event. It was um, a fantastic event celebrating uh, one of Michael's uh, many, 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 many cousins, right? And they were celebrating <laughs> this man um, and all of his achievements. Michael went in first and then I had the two boys with me and we were, we were coming behind and I was uh, male presenting. And uh, there was two tables to check in. Michael stood at one, I just took the other, and the lady behind the desk said to my sons, boys, do you see the gentleman is here checking in? You're gonna need to go back there. Now, not make any kind of assumption that we're all together as a family. Or I think one of the one of our physicians, a new physician, asked my husband if uh, he was our son's caseworker. Or, you know, just, to, it's, it's, it happens a lot. You know, yeah. we, we get a lot of, we get a taste and it's no comparison to what it's like to be in a, a biracial family. I Well, we are a biracial family, um, but we don't traditionally have, say, um, like my husband is not of color and I'm a Caucasian. But we have all of these odd things. You know, We touch on so many things. I get the misogyny of uh, people wanting to deal with my husband. I get mm-hmm. a disconnect from race with our sons uh, because people will just make the assumption that I'm an authority figure in life but not their father Mm -hmm. you were talking earlier about going to foster care Um, real quickly I wanted to say that when we decided to go through the foster care system we made sure from my own heart and I think from my, my husband's heart as well that we would only concentrate on kids who had been released fully from any kind of possibility of going back to a family connection and ironically, with both of our sons, it almost happened, even though they said it wouldn't. Um, we almost lost both of them because someone came out of the woodwork only mm-hmm. then to retreat again and say, no, we don't want the responsibility. But um, I I thoroughly wanted to make sure that, and you you can't 100%, but we, we were really concentrating on creating family. Sure. And, and we're in the foster care system, not for a reason that you might even imagine. Um, We are in an odd limbo having to remain in the foster care system and not adopt. Um, We would have adopted our son six months out, just as you can, here in New York from the foster care system. But unfortunately, both of our boys, not related, uh, blood related, but brothers now, both come from circumstances where they were um, abandoned in their home country. Hmm. When they came over, they either broke visa or they were here um, under false pretenses or something. and then. They got they had to then become almost ward of the state to protect them from being deported. So both of our uh, our young men that we have in our life, our sons, uh, are in the odd limbo where should we adopt them? We'd be taking them out of the order in which they've been in for about two or three years, progressing along a line to actually have this happen and that. If we were to adopt, it would be new paperwork they'd be taken out of here, and they would go back at the end of the line, now as an adopted uh, kid, and now everything would have to be changed on paper. It's that whole item of this, the state of New York versus then that being changed now to uh, Ginger and Mr. Ladd, you know, adopting these, these boys. So I am an unreluctant participant, continued sure. participant, of the foster care system. And the amount of, I, I will warn anyone getting involved in the p- foster care system, the frequency of having other people in your life can be overwhelming then when it comes to two of them and no one can explain to you why why can't the caseworker be the same caseworker for both of them no no now it's double the amount on different days and now involving 24 to 30 people and there's this i understand the the safety net I truly understand it, but there could have been a combination of, of you're here right now. Why don't we check in with Wes, and we check in with uh, Malik, and two birds, one stone. Oh, no, she'll be here tomorrow at 1.30 in the afternoon. Who can open up their life that much uh, right. to, to accept it? And then psychologically, what it does, at least it did in the beginning, now it doesn't take it away. But in the beginning, it just reminded us we're not their real parents. We're not their real parents Ah, to hell with it. Of course, we're their real parents and we're just having to we're just we're I'm an unreluctant participant in the foster care system. Thank God for the foster care system because we met our our sons.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think almost anyone that has uh, experienced the foster care system and from any respect will say exactly what you've just said, which is that it is a necessary really. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least those that I have um, had the chance to to interview and and, um, and get to know, I think it's a system that people understand has a ton of faults. It's a, a very difficult um, uh, entity to interact with from a from a lot of perspectives, and it's one that needs a lot of fixing. Honestly, it's not a, it's definitely not a perfect system. Um, so you know, and I, I think at for. For our audience, anyway, it's great for people to hear what these experiences are like for actual foster parents, um, because it's not something you want to get into if you're not fully committed, right? It's something that you need to understand what you're going through, um, because it's uh, much better to understand that. It might not be for you and you know to pursue maybe a private adoption or surrogacy or, or another form perhaps, if, it's, if perhaps. it's not if you're not ready to kind of to to deal with um the pressures and the and the you know all the different personalities like you're mentioning it is something it's in it uh, can go on for a lot longer than i think a lot of people anticipate based on what you're saying
1: here's my here's my best advice and um i, I honestly time is money and uh, money is time I, I if if anyone out there um, I personally think that if anyone wants to get involved in what we have done, you should find someone who's already gone through it.
0: Because you're gonna have
1: so many questions and you will not get responses. it's, It's working with a group that has its own language. Um, it's it's remarkable to me after three years that uh, caseworkers will use acronyms in front of us um, they, they will talk about the AS-5 office with the uh, star orange fish uh, this and you're, you're completely <laughs> left out and they, and they right. look at you like don't you understand what this means the TCL-5 and you're like could you remember that we actually don't work in your office and they're like oh well the paperwork to do this and like we'll just you know, bring us in, bring us in, let us understand it. So if you need a translator, I would highly recommend finding someone who's actually gone through the process, who has had to do the work, um, hire them.
0: Hire, so them so
1: this maybe, hire, the, hire them for maybe, hire them. I will I will give a little you know. plug
0: for our uh, GWK Academy, which just launched a mentorship program. So if those that participate in this, and again, it's a 90-day program that walks people through every step of the journey through foster care, adoption, surrogacy, whatever your path is. Uh, but so as part of this, we will connect you to dads who have already gone through it, so we'll connect you if you're interested in foster care, we'll connect you to foster dads who can talk about exactly these things. Because I think you're right, there's no replacing that. You know, We can, as the experts, help you as much as we can, we can put you in touch with professionals and lawyers and surrogacy agencies or or whatever else, but to really talk to someone like you that can talk about it from this human perspective, not that any two journeys are ever gonna be the same, uh, but at least to get some sense of what it's like um, as a real human in the world (laughs) to go through these very complicated and often very frustrating processes. If you're a queer man listening to this and you have your heart set on having a biological child, you likely already know how expensive surrogacy is, costing as much as $200,000 or more. Many queer men understandably experience sticker shock at this number and become a little bit hopeless. But there are ways to make having a baby as a queer man more affordable, and one of those ways is with Mosey Baby, which makes affordable and easy to use at-home insemination kits. So this kit would be perfect for anyone interested in an intentional co parenting situation with a friend or a couple, or maybe you're one of the lucky guys who has an incredible person in their life willing to carry your child for free, meaning you can maybe skip the fertility clinic. Mosey Baby's Baby Making Plus Bundle includes everything gay parents-to-be need to get started on their at-home insemination journey. This includes specially designed insemination syringes, pregnancy tests, ovulation tests, and fertility loop. Mosey Baby has helped thousands of LGBTQ couples and singles form their families in co-parenting or known donor situations, while avoiding a lot of the major expenses that come with other surrogacy options. You can find out more at moseybaby.com and get 10% off your first order with code GWK10. That's code GWK10 at moseybaby.com. I wanna ask you a question that I I don't even want to ask because I already know the answer personally, but um, I I think just to quell any sort of curiosity on, our, on the part of our listeners. So what, what do your
1: kids think of your act? What do they think of your profession? The best way I can describe it is this. Uh, when my son was able to go back to school, um, after uh, kids were allowed to go back to school, we actually kept him in online school probably until the spring. But we finally made the decision that he needed to be around kids. And so um, he hadn't prepped for school in a long time. So I said, this is what I do the night before. I lay out my clothes and make sure you have everything and maybe set two alarms and our son's so good. And he did exactly that. And uh, I went to say goodnight to him and he had one of my ginger lad shirts or t-shirt, uh, sweatshirts laid out. And I said, so are, you, are you wearing that to school? And he said, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And That's like, so sweet. I was very very sweet, um, and I'm trying to let you draw your own, you know, kind of thing from this. It, I said, babe, I love it that you love it. Are you sure that if you go and then you explain that you won't be right, in a position right. where you might be bullied or something? He goes, I don't care. So he came back, and I said, I was school. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like, uh, yeah. Um, I told everyone about like what you do, and you should probably have like 20, 30 new followers. Everyone thought it was so cool. I showed pictures <laughs> of you today at, at lunch. It, it's a different. It's a different. That's world. So sweet, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, and it's, it's it's great to hear that. Yeah, it's a different world. Plus, I will say this: I've had some people come for me recently. Um, I would say the over the overwhelming majority of people where I live here in Rockaway are fantastic, but I've had a very, very loud contingent. Of uh, a minority of groups that have come for me um, they have sent some of the the foulest things quoting Bible verses one of the mm. people it even represents a Catholic Church um, I've even thought about um, outing them and everything like that I know who the person is uh, they come from our lady of something or rather here using their church as an excuse that we're an abomination and that our children should be returned to wherever they came from. I'm gonna tell you where my kids came from. My kids were uh, maltreated and sent to a place where they had, um, they lived in group home. Mm -hmm. There were maybe two or three adults, an entire house full of kids. It wasn't exactly Lord of the, the Flies, but there were no hugs. There were hard beds and bruises. There was no one to spend Christmas with them that cared. That's where these kids were. Explain to me why you believe that they were better off getting bed sores and getting beaten up in the in, in the hallway instead of having two loving caring people in their life. Why was that better? It's so backwards. Why 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 what what in what part of the Bible does it say to do that? i am sort of going through a, a very strange time in my career you know I, you are you and i were talking about this um i have put myself in the position of performing at so many venues that are not traditionally LGBTQIA inclusive or not necessarily inclusive they just don't have any programming that's well a drag queen and so there i am this this just a kid at heart trying to get mommy and daddy to love him again um through the eyes of every straight person that walks through a venue but by doing that to myself, I open myself up to the stares and the points and the, uh, the admonishments that, that I receive. And so I'm, I'm just going through a chapter the last couple of months in my life where I'm really, really having to talk to a lot of people to remind myself of my power, to remind myself of my self-love and that I don't need to derive and should not derive my self-worth from complete strangers in this world. But when you're that kid, and you're kicked out of your house, and uh, you've done nothing wrong, you were practically a straight A student, spoke two languages, played the violin, was offered full ride scholarship, made your way across the country to a school where then you had to get permission for a couple of years to be the only student to stay there all year because your parents wouldn't let you come home. You, you do tend to spend part of your adult life trying desperately to, to get people to um, accept you. So, I think it is my life's calling. Um, there are some the queer artists that would think perhaps me bringing uh, drag into non traditional uh, queer spaces is maybe wrong, that maybe it should be an exclusive event for, for uh, a queer audience. And that's, I, I don't admonish you for feeling that way. So, Please do me, show me the grace to, to understand that this little boy is just trying to get loved by mom and dad, wants desperately to make a difference in this world. I want people to, um, to understand it's a short life. I I have no qualms about, uh, I I never feel like I have to really explain our family. I, I just don't. Um, if you're, if you're not into it, that's good on you. Um, But um, I really don't need to hear it because whatever you say is not going to mean anything to me I I just I I guess I just want to get across that I'm an actor Who has a business of making people feel good entertaining? I'm there to sell the venues meals and liquor to sell their merchandise to sell a feeling to sell a product to sell an advertisement and then I go home and I take it all off I put the wig on the shelf. <laughs> and um it's just me. And I bet you if you just took a second, I bet you'd love me. Don't be scared. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, on that note, I would love to give our listeners a chance to learn more about you. So what would you say is a good introduction to the Ginger Lad show?
1: A <laughs> good introduction. Well, uh, here, get ready for a repeated plugging um, so I have my own <laughs> podcast it's called dear ginger lad it's virtual advice on virtually everything we talk about sex love uh, rock and roll whatever we do we it's no holds barred you can find it, of course where all podcasts are found it's an advice show coming from a bent of uh, love joy and gratitude um, many of the questions are very very deep it's not a question to ask me about how to do my makeup it's a question to, to ask me questions about um, do you have any resources um, I think my dad is uh, abusing me or or um, things like that of that nature okay so we've got the podcast and of course you can find um, all about me of course at gingerlad.com. and if you could see me right now I am wearing just my largest breast plate I practically can't even <laughs> sit next to my desk it's that large and so when I say that it's ginger lad that's ginger la double D double D twice your pleasure twice your fun and I know that David's <laughs> certainly enjoying looking at them right now but it's I, gingerlad.com. I'm getting a little mini show, everyone at home. <laughs> you know that I'm not in track right now, people. We right? uh, go to gingerlad.com, and I would certainly like to invite you to one of the most special uh, Pride events in all of New York, Uh, which is here in the Rockaways. It's Rockaway Beach where um, I live and it is the Ginger Lad's third annual Rockaway Pride. It's been held at the Rockaway Hotel, which is a beautiful seaside location right at just the southernmost point of our beautiful uh, city in New York City. If you don't want to deal with all the big crowds and you kind of want a little flavor of the pines, but uh, you don't want to have so much poppers in your life, then you're going to come to my show. (laughs) (laughs) It is a family-friendly show. Just to let you know, so leave it's family the poppers friendly. At home. Yeah, okay. Well, if you're gonna, bring or the you can just—I don't know, you know, whatever, sure. just discreetly. There are there are private places to do that. <laughs> poppers, uh, but yeah, there's all sorts of things, and of course, um, because we're talking about gays with kids. Um, I'd like to give a big shout out to my husband. That is the Mr. Lad. His name is Mike But uh, you'll find him on social media as the Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R-L-A-D-D The Mr. Lad. If you follow the Mr. Lad, you're gonna find out a little bit more about my family. Things that I don't normally publish He will. He'll publish behind the scenes uh, at Hard Rock, for example Um, Oftentimes at me begrudgingly looking at the camera halfway in between uh, Ginger and myself uh, but he'll also just talk about our family and every single day he does a gratitude shout out, um, which seems to really, really help a lot of people hearing a positive voice every single morning.
0: Amazing, so uh, we will link to all of this and more um, in the blog post that corresponds with this when it gets published. Uh, this has been just an absolute delight. We're thrilled to have That's a you know, gay dad out there representing in the, in the queer drag community. Uh, I remember, just as in the site, <laughs> I remember when Tempest DuJour was yeah. on I forget what season of Drag Race, but I I know tons of gay dads that were thrilled. They're like, oh, there's a gay dad drag queen, and then she got eliminated the first episode.
1: So we God like, bless her. Tempest <laughs> was on James's uh, season. Is that correct? I th- I uh, think th- I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that she went first. James went s- no no James was a first, but she was she was well back there. Was a season six eight something. I'm I'm not. But yeah, um, I I remember seeing Tempest. I wasn't a I wasn't a father then, um, and I and I did think, how's that possible? Um, and if you know if if you know queer families in your life, can, and you are an ally and you're straight, I encourage you to uh, support those families because they do come across some things that uh, your cis families just don't ever really have to deal with. So that's for sure,
0: absolutely. Ginger, thank you again so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, and we hope to you know stay in touch and have you on a future podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it.